Hello and welcome to Conscious Business. Today's episode is inspired by a question from the lovely Amy Hogan. She asked me, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago to do a quick video to explain what it was like on my Vipassana retreat. This was my meditation retreat I did way back in October. Now, I am killing two birds with one stone because instead of doing the video, I'm going to mash up my response in this podcast episode and then, hey, I get to share it and everyone who's subscribed to the podcast gets to hear all about it. And I want to say, A, thank you, Amy, for this inspiration, but also I want to say I'm not intentionally keeping my experience at Vipassana secret. It's just a little bit complicated to explain what goes on there because everyone has a very different experience. And so I'm just kind of cautious to explain it because I don't want to seed any expectations of what could happen to you because I know for me, it's been very, very transformative. Now, whenever I tell people what happens on retreat, they're usually pretty shocked and they roll their eyes. They have this look of horror that comes over their face and they just say, oh my God, I would never be able to handle that. So I thought today would be fun to explain exactly what happens structurally on the retreat. I can't tell you what's experientially going to happen inside of you because like I said, for everyone it's different. And why do you have to take a vow of silence for 10 days? So get out of your head into your heart and let's dive right in to talk about Vipassana. All right, so let's start by explaining what the heck Vipassana is. So let's start by spelling it. V, like Victor, V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A. Now, it is a specific style of meditation. And I have had a meditation practice for about 12 years. But this style is really unique. And I've only been doing this for about seven, six or seven years. And it's a very, very hard style of meditation, which, you know, we typically explain meditation is very peaceful, very calming, very transformative, but this style, it's just plain hard and it's really strict and it's very rigid. And I'll explain how and why a little bit further in this episode. So it is Buddhist in lineage. It is the technique that Gautama Buddha used to achieve enlightenment. And it's different than most styles of meditation. Typically, other styles ask you to focus on your breath. We use pranayama, right? Which is a Sanskrit word to mean breath control. We don't use breath control in in Vipassana style meditation. And we also don't use uh, a mantra to focus on. Other styles ask you to use this, to use breath or a mantra or a positive saying and just repeat that word over and over again. Other styles of meditation are guided. And so you basically listen to a person walk you through a visualization technique. And that's what helps you to calm your body. Now with Vipassana, it teaches you in a different way. It teaches you how to feel sensations on the body. And This is similar to using your breath because it takes you to a conscious state, but we don't use breath control. You start very simply 
and the first few days of the retreat, you use the foundation of understanding how to feel sensations on your upper lip. So it's the area right above your top lip, right underneath and into where your nostrils are. Now we pick this place on the body because this is where you naturally will feel the air coming in and out of your nose as you breathe. Now you're not controlling your breath, you're just naturally feeling sensations as the breath comes in and out. And so this tends to be a very sensitive place on the body where you'll be able to feel and understand how to feel sensations on your body. Now you take a few days to master this and then you start to move through a process of scanning the entire body from the top of your head to the tip of your toes and then back up again. Now, I've never really specifically talked about this technique before, and it's not a secret by any means. I mean, you can search online and do a little bit of research on your own to figure out all the missing pieces, but I will talk about Anapana, which is the foundation of feeling sensations. I can't talk about the full process, and I never teach the full process of Vipassana to anyone because part of upholding the integrity of the technique in its purity is that they ask you when you participate to not teach it to other people, which I fully respect. So it's not meant to be controlling in any way. They just want to maintain the integrity of the practice. And so the very first time that you go to a Vipassana retreat, you must go for the full 10 days. And there's a few basic principles that you need to understand to really get why it works so well. Now, if you are a Buddhist or if you've ever studied Buddhism or any Buddhist teachings, then this is going to be very, very familiar to you. So in life, our goal is to remain equanimous, which is neutral. We don't want to have high highs. We don't want to have low lows. So when you crave something or when your body has a desire for something or whenever you have an aversion, which is the desire to avoid something, you create a sankara on your body, which is an impurity. Now, our goal in meditation specifically is to release all the sankaras and the cravings from our body, all these impurities. Now, it has been my experience over the years, and this was even way back at my first course, that as you go through this technique, as you're scanning the body, bringing yourself into this conscious state, you are releasing, removing all of these memories from your existence. And quite literally, this is my experience, but I will just be sitting there and all of a sudden there's this memory that pops up from my birthday when I was six years old and something traumatic that happened or, you know, some other point in my life where there was a bad memory or a bad experience. And as those memories are popping up, you are basically releasing them from the body, which is really, really powerful when you think about it. And, you know, I've always known that when you have unexperienced emotions or when you avoid emotions, that emotion doesn't go away. You just pack it up into your body and save it for a point later on where you are ready to experience it, right? And so this style of meditation for me has allowed me to really do that cleansing, to release old memories, old fears, limiting beliefs. It literally allows you to surface the pain and then release it and really diffuse it from your body. So whenever I return from an intensive 10 days, I feel more clear, I feel lighter, 
and I feel more focused on who I am and I'm more able to focus on what it is that I want. So the truth is, this style of meditation has really changed my life. It's, you know, I've tried many different styles over the years, and this has just been the most powerful for me. I'm not saying it will be for you, but for me, it really, really has uh, changed my life. And I actually do quite often tell everyone to meditate. However, I very rarely tell people to go on a bit of a Pasana retreat. And I do this because I actually don't think that it's right for everyone and I don't think that everyone is ready today to go and I feel like it's up to people to decide that it's right for them because it's really really hard and you need to be in a certain place to be able to really commit to be present and to really get the most out of it. Now, I'm not doing this episode because I think that you should go on a Vipassana retreat. I know there's a few of you that I've pegged out and I've said I think you should go, you're ready. But I do think that you should meditate in some capacity. So find a style of meditation that is right for you. The reason I'm doing this episode is just to give you a little bit of context about what this is so that maybe at some point down the road you might be ready to go and you know what to expect. All right? So here's a few things that you really, really, really should know and understand before you go. All right? So first up, the retreat is 10 days long with a day on either end. So you're essentially gone for 12 days. So for example, I left recently in this last one on a Wednesday. I was gone that entire week till Sunday and then the full following week till the next Sunday. So it's really essentially 12 days. And no, your first retreat, you cannot go for a shorter version. You have to go for the full 10 days. Now, for me, it works because I can take clients in that first week, Monday to Wednesday, and then Wednesday noon, I guess, and then I really am only gone for one full week. So it works for me because I can create a flexible schedule, but I realize that that's not available for everyone. They have to take really almost two weeks off of vacation, which is tough. But just so you know, the retreat, the first time you go, you have to go for the full 10 days, all right? Second... This is a tough one. (laughs) You take a vow of noble silence while you're there, which means you don't speak to each other. Now, if you have questions, you can ask the teacher. And there's also a coordinator there to handle facilities. Like, you know, if you run out of shampoo or you need something, you can ask that person, that assistant. But seriously, I want to be crystal clear. This is not a club med kind of retreat. It is not. It is not a luxury joyous retreat experience. That's why I shouldn't even call it a retreat. It is a course. It is hard work. It is really, really, really hard. And to be clear, the silence isn't a punishment. It's meant to encourage you to go deep within yourself and also to avoid you creating these new sankaras in your body or attachments because you know you might sit down after a meditation and talk to somebody about their experience and they've experience something that sounds nirvanic and amazing and you have it and then all of a sudden you're beating yourself up because you must have done something wrong because there must be something bad about you and so the silence is actually there as a gift to help you to just go inside and of yourself and not compare yourself to others so I know the silence thing can be hard for people 
I'm used to it now and I enjoy it. But for a lot of people, it can be really, really hard. Um, I've found that extroverts find it particularly hard because if they don't have that ability to engage with others and outward direct their energy, then they feel quite drained and depleted. But for me, because I'm quite introverted, I love it. I find it energizing to go 10 days without talking. Number three, ooh, let's talk about the food. Now, again, I love the food. It's vegetarian. Other people struggle. It's vegetarian and it's really healthy. And so there are three set times of the day where you eat. However, the dinner is simply just fruit. And uh, most of the Vipassana centers, from my understanding, have the same menu and they standardize the experience. And so your first course, you sit down for dinner. If it's your second course or more, they ask you to actually skip dinner, which means that you're only really eating during a five-hour window. So you're eating in the morning and lunch, and then you're fasting right through after lunch till the following morning. And again, this is hard for some people, so it's important to understand that. You're not going to be bringing your own food. You're not going to be ordering in, skip the dishes. Like, (laughs) this is just it. It's really, really strict. Now, I know, um, not on Vipassana retreats, but when I run my retreats, people just sometimes uh, really have a hard time and struggle not eating meat. And so sometimes they leave, they go into town for an afternoon, they have a steak, they have a burger, and then they come back. Well, if you're precious about eating meat, then this is going to be really hard and you probably will struggle. So managing your expectations on the food. All right, a few other things that you should know. Number four, the centers are off the grid. No Wi-Fi, no phone service. So you hand over your valuables, like your cell phone and your wallet when you arrive, and you are offline the entire time. So no Snapchat, no Instagram, no Facebook, and also no reading and no journaling while you're there. I know. Okay, number five. You meditate for up to 10 hours a day, and you do this typically in one-hour increments. There's a few sittings where you have to be there for longer, for for two-ish hours, and the day starts at 4.30 a.m. Yes, I said 4.30 a.m. Now, not all of the sittings are mandatory. Some of them are mandatory. Some of them aren't. Um, This last retreat I did, I had about I was averaging six to eight hours a day, which was pretty good, but that's something that I've worked up to over the years. Number six, no exercising. Now, this one I definitely struggled with my first time. They ask you to not exercise while you're there. Now, my ego pushed back, and I wanted to do yoga, and I wanted to stretch, and you know, my ego was saying things like, how can I not do yoga at a meditation retreat? Like, I don't understand this. And, you know, yoga is good for you. But the reality is, is that even though it's yoga and it's gentle or Tai Chi or other forms of exercise, they do promote a lot of comparing and a lot of distraction. And that takes you away from what you're there to do, which is learn and master a specific meditation retreat. It's not a healthy whole life retreat. It is a meditation retreat. Okay. So simple stretches you can do in your room. That's fine. You can walk outside weather permitting, but no jogging, no formal exercise. Okay. Number seven, the style of 
Vipassana is what you're supposed to do the whole retreat. It's not a meditation retreat where you can pick and choose what you want. They uh, really request you to focus only on learning and using this type of technique. So if you do uh, TCM or some other style of meditation, they ask you to not do it at the center and uh, focus only on their style of Vipassana, which is feeling the sensations on your body. And number eight, the last thing that I want you to know that is really important is that it's free. And I have to say that I think this is really smart that they've done this. The reason why they can is that the center operates on donations only. They're not for profits, right? So when you get accepted into a course, you don't have to pay to be there. You confirm your space and then you are there because the students before you have donated money to allow you to go to that sitting and be there for free. Now, the reason why they do this is they don't want you distracted or complaining throughout the course, like saying, oh, well, why do we have this food today? And I don't want this food. And this isn't up to my standards. Or I don't like my room. Or I don't like sharing a room. They remove all of the opportunities for you to complain because you haven't paid any money to get what you are getting or not getting. So that helps your experience and that is done for you. Now, at the end of the course, you have the option to make a donation and that is truly an option. Personally, I like to make a good donation at the end because, you know, there's a lot of money taken to operate a center, to feed these people, you know, the food, the hydro, the taxes, lots of things are taken to run that retreat. So I like to make a donation, but if you're in a situation or if you are a student and you don't have the money, then you absolutely do not have to donate. And finally, yes, you have to be there the entire time. You can't leave halfway through. You can't plan to go for six days. You can't go out for a burger and come back. You have to be there the entire time. Now, I've heard, I don't know how accurate this is, anywhere from 10 to 15% of the people leave on retreat and then they don't come back. And um, and I'd say from my experience, what I've seen is it's about accurate. We usually have more women than men that are there. And there's usually about three or four women that leave partially partial way through. And I think because they don't know what they're expecting when they show up. So I want to share a couple more tips in case you are considering going. Here's a few other important things that you should know. You can check out their website. It's dhamma.org. So I'm going to spell that. It's D-H-A-M-M-A dot O-R-G. Now all the centers are listed there. They are all around the world. There is an application process. You can't just sign up and go. And I'm not sure about other parts of the world. I know here, the center that I go to, there's usually about 300 people on the wait list. And I think they can capacitate about 100 per sitting or like per per course. So Christmas is also a busy wait time. There's about 700 people uh, on the wait list at Christmas in that sitting because it's a time when people don't have to take that much time off work. So that one tends to be busier. But if you're on the fence, I would say apply. And then even if you're waitlisted, you'll probably... Um, whatever is meant to happen will happen. So don't let the wait list discourage you, okay? The other thing I'm going to suggest is that you don't go. This is just Julie advice. This is not what the center tells you. I really strongly advise you to not go with someone that you know. 
And I have quite a few people say, oh, I want to go when you're going. And I say, don't. Don't go when I'm going. And uh, I know the centers do ask you in the application process if you're going with someone that you know. Uh, for If you're the same gender, then they will try to let you share a room. So I know in courses I've seen mothers and daughters go or two friends go or sisters go sometimes. And I, again, personally think that this is very distracting because you can't talk the entire time. However, I have seen people, there was a mother and daughter team that went last year. And as soon as they went into their room and shut the door, they would start talking to each other, which I think is a huge distraction, right? I mean, you don't need that. You're going through a lot on your own. And so the last thing you want is a distraction of someone else you love going through that experience because you're going to be worried about them, right? You're going to be wondering like, are they okay? Are they going through something? But you can't do anything to comfort them. You can't talk to them. You can't hug them. You can't make eye contact. So I think personally, it just makes it more frustrating than anything. So if you are thinking of going, try to talk to someone who has gone to really get an impression of what it's like. Don't expect to go on this vacation. Again, I said earlier, it's not Club Med. I really meant that. It is not Club Med. This is not relaxing. You are going to work very, very hard. And it's a lot of personal growth. It's very rewarding, but it's not a relaxing retreat. So there are also Dharma Talks at the end of every night. And these are recorded lectures of Goenkaji, who founded the centers. Now, he also chants. <laughs> and some people find it very, very annoying. It is non-sectarian. It's not based in religion, right? Even Buddhism isn't a religion. But a lot of people are really bothered and disturbed by his chanting. So I'm going to suggest that you go to YouTube and you search Goenkaji, Goenkaji. Uh, and Vipassana and see what comes up. So G-O-E-N-K-A. Check it out and, you know, listen to some of his interviews and talks. Listen to the chanting and be prepared for that. All right. But I know a lot of people struggle with the chanting. Uh, also, when you go, be prepared to follow a lot of rules. Now, I don't love rules. I very rarely follow rules unless they're my own rules. However, when I go away to a center like this that has a lot of rules, I respect their rules. And, you know, for me, if you're serious about going, then you should go and you should follow the rules. Because if you don't, then you are taking time and a space away from someone who wants to go and really get a lot out of it. And I just realized going through this episode, I didn't actually answer officially Amy's question yet. She asked, why do I keep going back every year and what do I get out of it? Well, it's a very deep practice. It's an intense style of meditation. And so every year I get something new out of it. I get some big breakthrough, a big realization. And I also feel very, very grounded and peaceful when I come back. Being off the grid alone, I think, is, is just a gift to give yourself. And each time that I go, I deepen my practice and I get better at this style of meditation. Like I said, this time I was able to sit almost a full eight hours every day, which was a really big thing for me. And I found that my mind was wandering less. Like in the past, there were times when I would just be distracted and daydreaming an entire, you know, hour would go by or 40 minutes. And that didn't happen this time. So that was a big progress that I saw. And there you have it. Thank you. Amy Hogan for this inspiration to do an episode 
I should have done this a long time ago, but here it is. That is an overview of Vipassana. It is amazing. It's completely changed my life. And I honestly, you know, in truth, I don't care what kind of meditation you you do. I'm not trying to tell you to do Vipassana by any means. I don't think it's right for everyone. But I do want you to meditate in whatever form. And I don't care if that is one minute on your mat, whether it's five minutes with a guided meditation, doesn't matter to me. Just make sure that you meditate because something magical happens when you start to meditate. You become more connected to yourself. And most of the magic and the wisdom that we are all seeking in life, well, it's kind of like buried treasure and it's buried deep within you. And think about meditation as this deep journey of exploration to find buried treasure. That's the deal, isn't it? It's kind of like the book, The Alchemist, when he starts out and he's in that church visioning the buried treasure and he goes on this whole journey in life, spoiler alert, and he ends up finding out that the treasure that he was searching for the whole time was actually buried in the church where he first started out. Well, that's kind of like what meditation is. The treasure is getting to hear and figure out who you are so that you can appreciate who you are, learn to love who you are, and always show up at 100% and be there to inspire everything and everyone else around you.